Welcome to another podcast from Planet Shakers Church. For details on campus locations and service times, check out planetshakers.com. Today we've got Pastor Rudy Nikarud speaking on the cost of your oil. Let's have a listen. I want to preach to you today a thought that I've called the cost of your oil. The cost of your oil. Turn to your neighbour, the first one, the first one you turn to, the better looking one, say, you don't know the cost. You don't know the cost. Turn to your other neighbour, the one that you're growing to like a little bit more, say, what's the cost of your oil? John chapter 12 says this, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that He had raised from the dead. You could preach just from that. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with Him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, the oil of spikenard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping His feet with her hair. The whole house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that He cared for the poor, He was a thief since He was the creative accountant of the group. He was in charge of the disciples' money. He often stole some for Himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Inviting someone into your home in those days was not unusual to wash their feet. Now, usually it would be the lowest act of the least important servant who would do that, but it was not, it was not unusual to wash someone's feet with water. Um, and then maybe if they were a very special guests, you might anoint their head with oil, fragrant oil. But to wash someone's feet with oil and not to get a servant to do it, but to get someone who owns the household to bend down and wash a guest's feet with oil and then to go even further and dry their feet with her hair. This is uncomfortable. Imagine being in the room, witnessing this act of worship and this act of devotion. It's almost this act of this intimate worship. It's almost uncomfortable to think about being in the room, given the extravagant nature and the outpouring of love that this clearly was. This was an act of great humility and great devotion and great worship. And the Bible story tells us exactly how much money it was worth is a year's wage. Now, if you're in the room and you make $40,000 and you're sitting next to someone who makes $400,000, a year's wage is different to you, but it's still, it's meant to last you for a whole year. That's a whole long time. That's valuable. But not only is it this act of extravagantly valuable worship in a monetary sense, this Fragrant oil was something that was usually stored up by women for their wedding day or wedding week. And and it's not like the perfume that we have that we just spray a spritz in the air and run through it. It came in a jar that once broken could not be put back together. So you give the whole thing or not at all. And so you can imagine this gift It would have meant something to her more than just money. It would have meant something. 
whether she was waiting to get married and it had been delayed and so she was disappointed, but she gave that to Jesus, I'm not sure. Whether she was waiting to get married, but she said, Jesus, I, this is more important for me to give to You. So she was just giving value. It's a chapter after Jesus raises her brother from the dead. Maybe it was just an extravagant act of thankfulness. We don't really know what it cost Mary, just that it cost a lot in a monetary sense and it certainly would have cost plenty in a personal sense. We just don't know the cost of her oil. But there was a cost. No one really knew what she was offering to her God in worship except for her and God. The cost of your oil. I wonder what the cost of your worship is. I wonder what the cost of your extravagance is. I wonder what the cost of your worship is. Father, today we thank You for Your presence. Lord, You're already so evidently here. Lord, You're here because You promised to be where two or three are gathered. There You are in the midst. But Lord, we know that You're here because You inhabit the praises of Your people. And in this room today, we, Your people, have praised You and exalted You. So God, I know You are here and You are touching lives and touching hearts. And God, that is our desire today as we meet with You, that You would touch us, that You would change us, that You would shape us, You would mould us, You would do all the good things that come with Your presence. You would bring Your breakthrough and bring Your healing and pour out Your peace and pour out Your love. God, I thank You today that You are revealing Yourself to people in this room, that You are drawing hearts to You that are far away. Lord, that You are mending hearts that have been broken. God, that You are uplifting hearts that have been downcast. God, that You are moving upon each and every one of us in a way that only You can. And God, we give You all the glory and honour in this place. Father, I pray that Your revelation would move out in this place. Lord, let that spirit of wisdom and revelation fall. And Lord, I thank You where Your Word goes out. It will not return void. God, bring that harvest in our life. Lord, that harvest of righteousness, that harvest of joy, that harvest of breakthrough. God, like only You can. God, we thank You for Your Word today. In Jesus' Name. Come on, if you got faith, would you shout a good Amen? Isn't He good? He's good. He's good. The cost of Your oil. You know, many things in life cost money. If you filled up your car recently, it costs more than it used to. And it costs more than it used to for all of us. But the tangible feeling of cost to you and to me would be different. See, if you're just stepping into the workforce and just getting a job and you got a, you're on the lower rung of payment in your organisation, I would, I would imagine that the cost of fuel for you is gonna hit you more than someone who maybe is in the midst of their career, high flying, they've got success behind them, they've got a great salary going on. They might notice the increase, but it wouldn't cost as much to them. Or maybe you're sitting next to the person whose parents still pay for everything. It really wouldn't bother them at all. God bless you. It, it costs the same in a monetary sense, but it costs us all something different. There are some things in life that, you know, we all feel differently, but then there are some costs that no matter what your salary is, no matter if your parents are still picking up the cheque, it's still gonna hurt you. For example, jet lag. Gee, that hurts. I just wish there was a way to skip jet lag, but it just hits you. Or if you happen to have young children living in your household and they decide that any particular night, maybe most particular nights, would be a great night not to sleep. Doesn't matter who's paying your wage, 
that's gonna hurt you, particularly if you are the spouse that gets up to deal with that. Thank God for my wife. I was, uh, went to help out a neighbour in need last night because they had an accident in their house and partially flooded their house. I don't think there's ever a good time to flood your house, probably ever. But particularly on a night where you're already gonna lose an hour's sleep and you're looking after the kids on your own and you're juggling handling them and you gotta preach in a church the next morning. It wasn't me, don't worry, but it might've been someone in one of our campuses. And so I was going around there to help them out and I thought there's never really a good night, but man, this is gonna hurt. I'm sure there was a little bit of sleep lost last night. See, there are some things in life that you can't necessarily put a price tag on, but they all hurt us nonetheless. They cost something. They cost something. Our worship costs something. It's gonna cost you something different to the person you're sitting next to. Some seasons it might cost you more than other seasons of your life. But there can be a cost that comes with your worship. This extravagant act that we see in John 12 with Mary coming, this was a moment in her life where her worship was an extravagant act. But it cost her something. Cost her the opinions of others. It cost her something valuable she was holding on to. It cost her the reason that she was holding on to it. it, it her worship cost her something. And, and that's a great story, but I, I don't want to stop there. I want to turn over the story of King David in 2 Samuel because he can tell us a little bit of something about the cost of worship as well. You see, David in the Bible, he is known as and labelled as a man after God's own heart, one who had a heart for God. Another way that you could translate that is a worshipper, someone who is a God seeker. He had a heart for God. God was looking for someone who was after his heart and he found David. David is actually the most prominent person in the whole Bible besides Jesus Christ. We know about Abraham, he's the father of faith, he gets 10 chapters. Moses gets the uh, children of Israel up out of Egypt in the Exodus, he gets 11 chapters. Elijah and Elisha, the great prophets who move in power, they get 10 chapters. David gets 66 chapters, just about his life. Double all of those other guys. Now Abraham was talking and teaching us about faith and Moses was teaching us about God's standard and God's laws and uh, Elijah and Elisha were teaching us that the miraculous is God's realm, that nothing is impossible for God, all things that we need to know, that David was teaching us about worship. Maybe there's something in that that we need to know. He teaches about worship. He was a king, yes. He was a warrior, yes. But he was a worshipper. He was a worshipper. It was God's defining characteristic for David. And what is so encouraging to me and to you is that David was not in the Bible elevated as an example because he was perfect. Far from it. He made many, many mistakes. At one point in time, he slept with another man's wife and then got that man killed and then pulled this woman into his household and proceeded to, proceeded to go on about life as if nothing had happened. Not a great moment in his life. I'd suggest you don't take that story as inspiration. It's not a great way to live. But probably, and it was a great mistake, but probably the greatest mistake of his leadership, while that one was pretty great, if we're measuring mistakes by greatness, Probably the greatest mistake, certainly the one with the most impact, we see in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24. And it says in verse two, the king, David, 
said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people, count them, take a census that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, may the Lord your God add to the people a hundredfold, as many as they are while the eyes of the Lord my King still see it. But why does my Lord the King delight in this thing? Why are you doing this? Don't do this. But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king and they numbered the people, took the census, they counted them. See, this was a great mistake in King David's leadership. To you and to I, it's like, well, why is that such a big deal? Like we have a census in Australia every five years. Like, what? But there were specific reasons in God in this time that you could have a census. And David did not have any of those specific reasons. The entire reason that he wanted to take a census was so he knew how many people he was a leader over, how many people he ruled over, how many people were at his beck and call and at his command that he could send here or send there. This moment was entirely a moment of pride and pride led him to the biggest mistake in his leadership. And so he, he, he issues this command and what we read in this story is something quite astounding. The commander of his army tries to convince him not to do that. And this is astounding because the commander of his army was not a good dude. He was not super righteous, but even he knew this is a bad idea. Don't do this. But David was the king, so he got what he wanted to get. And so he overruled, the census went ahead. It took about nine months to complete, but by the time it was completed, David had realised, oh, I've done the wrong thing. And there was a huge consequence to it. The favour of God lifted off the land. There was a plague that struck the nation. The Bible tells us, it recounts the history, about 70,000 people lost their lives as a consequence of David allowing pride to lead him. So he was a man after God's own heart who grew prideful with his successes and accomplishments. And we learn from this that pride will harden your heart. Pride will close you out to counsel and wisdom. Pride will alter shut up your worship. And see, this might have been the most impactful mistake of His leadership, but His response is what God wants us to learn about from His entire life. That instead of running and hiding or doubling down in His pride or, or cowering away and in, in, walking in shame, David decides, I'm gonna worship in this moment. I'm gonna worship. He, he made a mistake, but he turned it into a place of worship because pride might harden your heart and deafen you to truth and close up your worship, but humility will worship and worship will soften your heart. So, so the story goes, as the plague was taking place, David ran out to where the plague was rolling out and cried out to God that God would stop the plague and the angel of the Lord moved. The plague stopped and at that exact location where the plague was stopped, David turned that place into a place of worship. The place where his decision had caused so much damage and his mistake had led to so much mess and his pride had hurt so many people. He turned that place into a place of worship. That, that in itself is, is astounding because, because he could have been embarrassed and tried to hide it away. He'd done that before. He'd hurt so many people. He'd, he'd done the wrong thing by God, but still He came 
and turn that place of defeat into a place of worship. And what is maybe more astounding is that location wasn't just worship for a moment, but the next generation that came along was his son Solomon. David turned that place into the foundation for the temple, which would then house the presence of God. So it wasn't a place of worship for a moment, but it was a place of worship for generations. It could have been a place of defeat. It could have been a place of embarrassment. It could have been a place of shame. It could have been a place of hiding it away. But David decided to come before God and say, I'm turning my place of pride into a place of worship. He could have hidden it away, but he said, no, no, no. If people will see it, it is what it is. I gotta turn this place into a place of worship. It's the greatest response that I can have. The cost of His worship was high, but He knew it was better to pay that cost than to stay in pride because you will pay more for pride than you will ever pay for praise. And all throughout Scripture, you can see story after story of people who paid a high price for their devotion and for their worship. I was thinking about the story of Joseph. Joseph, the one who was thrown in a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery, went down to a man's house called Potiphar's house in Egypt and became a slave in Potiphar's house, ended up in prison. This whole ordeal taking years and years and years before God finally elevated him into a position of prominence in the palace. He was able to influence the whole world, but he went through some crazy stuff to get there. And there was this encounter that took place when he was a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar loved him. Turns out Mrs. Potiphar, also loved him. Woo! She tried to turn the moves on him one day while they were alone in the house. And he does everything he can to get out of her grasp and ends up losing his clothes, but runs out of there. He ran out without his clothes, but he still had his righteousness. And I was thinking how crazy it would be if you or I were alive in the corner of the garden, just kind of doing our work that day. And we look up and we see a naked young man running out of the house. I wonder which of us would have thought, ah, there goes a man with integrity. Probably none of us. Probably none of us would look at that and go, wow, what a righteous man. No, no, no. All of us would jump to conclusions, which is what society seems to do all the time. Take an event with partial facts and go, well, I'm gonna report on that. Let this be a great reminder that if you don't know everything, you don't know everything. So a great opportunity to just hold your peace. Maybe Proverbs says something about that. But the craziness of this story is that his integrity made him leave his clothes, but keep his righteousness. That's why it's not always true that when you look at something, some people say like, Where's the, where there's smoke, there's fire. Not true. You could have looked at that situation and go, hmm, something fishy going on there. No, not on his part. Something righteous going on there. If that's the cost of your worship today, please keep your clothes on though. <laughs> but He paid a cost to be a man of devotion. He paid a price. Or, or, or we could go to the story of Esther. 
and her entire journey. There's a whole book in the Old Testament devoted to her story. And she was a young woman in the, in the land and, and, and she became the Queen. That is a whole journey in itself, uh, became the Queen. And that whole thing took faith and took belief in God and trusting that God would look after her and she became the Queen. But that was never the purpose for her life, just to be the Queen. God's gifts and God's blessing are not just to elevate us into a position of comfort so we can be comfortable. There's always a purpose attached to the position. There's always a purpose attached to the gift. God's gifts, God's blessings are absolutely for us, but they're not blessings so that we can just roll around and be blessed. The Bible says we're blessed to be a blessing. God's gifts are to be a blessing. God's gifts are to serve. God's gifts are to worship with. God's gifts are to, to use our position, whatever position He puts us in as a position with purpose. And so there came this moment in her life when God had elevated her ultimately into a position of great comfort and great wealth and great privilege. But then the call of God came knocking and she had to put herself in a position of danger to stand up for the things of God. And she began to worry about it and her uncle came to her and said, you're worried about dying. And if you do this, you might die. But if you don't do this, you will die. And that's the reality of standing up for the things of God sometimes is if you do this, you may be criticised, but if you don't do it, I guarantee you things will fall. And so God needs people who will stand up and be courageous and be faith-filled. Her position carried a purpose with it. And so to be a God follower, to be someone devoted to God, she had to step way out of her comfort zone, put herself in a, put it all on the line, put herself in a position of danger to say, you know what, God, if that's the cost, I'll serve You. If that's the cost, I'll worship You. If that's the cost, I'll praise You. You see, this is why we can't just be people who seek after God for what He gives us. It would be crazy to talk about the presence and the power of God and not talk about what it does. The Bible tells us that in His presence is fullness of joy. Absolutely. In His presence is healing. That when we come to Him, He has breakthrough and freedom and peace and provision and, and, and free, every good thing we find in His presence. But that can't be the only reason that I seek an encounter with Him. Well, I need more peace, so I'll go to God. I need more healing, I'll go to God. I need breakthrough, I'll go to God. Yes, that's a good thing, but it can't be the only reason you come because we can't just come to God to seek His hand, but not His face because He is not just Santa Claus in the sky. He is God Almighty. He was worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise just for who He is. Yes, it blesses us, but I'm not coming just so I can be blessed. I wanna come because He's worthy and He deserves my worship. What a privilege to pay that cost and that price to say, God, I'll come to You. I'll worship You. I wonder what's the cost of Your worship? What's the cost of Your oil? Like the story of Mary, it was extravagant. It was an extravagant gift, but it was also everything attached to that gift. For, for David, the cost for him was his pride, laying aside his own mistakes. For, for Joseph, the cost for him was other people's opinions. It was righteousness. It was choosing God's ways above the world's ways. For Esther, the cost for her was comfort, choosing to worship God over her comfort. Her position had a purpose. You see, I wonder what the cost is for you today, whether it's one of those things or maybe the cost for you as personality, that to come and worship extravagantly is like, well, it's not my personality. 
Well, I'm not sure if it's many people's personality to worship so extravagantly. And yet we're still called to. I wonder if the cost for you is opinions, that you've been bound or hurt or wounded by other people's opinions. And so to step out and worship extravagantly challenges you to pay the price of, well, what would other people say? I wonder if the cost for you is laying aside your own hurts and burdens because it's become easier to hold on to them than to entrust them to God. See, for all of us, there's a cost to our worship. To be a spirit and truth worshipper. In some seasons of our life, it can be very easy to come in and be a worshipper. In other seasons, it can cost us more. But today, I simply wanted to come with an invitation. I wonder if all across this room, we'd stand to our feet. And close your eyes for a moment. Because I wanted to ask if there's anything stopping you pouring out your worship and pouring out your oil to Him today. I wonder if I could join with Mary and David and Joseph and Esther and so many others throughout Scripture to encourage you to be the one that goes beyond those things, to be the one today who would step in, to be the one who would hold nothing back to be the one who would look at the cost of your oil and say, I'll pour that on Jesus. I'll pour that out on Jesus. Hey, it's been so great that you've been able to join us today. I hope that your faith is filled. If you have any prayer requests or you want to connect with us any further at Planet Shakers, why don't you be a part?